In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. God willing, today we're going to study um, this, the, the Bible passage about the prodigal son, uh, which um, can teach us a lot of things uh, actually about parenting um, and see what kind of lessons uh, we can learn from it. Um, so first we're going to read it. So if somebody wants to get a, get a microphone. Everybody can just read one slide and pass the microphone. Then he said, a certain man had two, two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of, of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living but when he had spent all there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want then he went and joined himself to a, a citizen of that country and sent him into the fields to to feed swine and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with, the hunger, with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, What? these things meant and he said to him your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound your father has killed the fatted calf but he was angry and would not go in therefore his father came out and pleaded with him so so he answered and said to his father well those many years I have been serving you I never tran transgressed uh, your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friend. But as soon as this son of yours came, who had devoted your life livelihood with harlots, you killed he the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that he should make merry and be glad, for your brothers was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Glory be to God forever. Amen. So um, I think many of us are familiar with this story, um, the story of two sons who are living with their father. Um, and, of course, in the story, the father represents God and the sons represent us. Um, and one of the sons, um, his focus was on the material things that his father had. So he asked for the inheritance uh, early. Of course, it should be that he receives the inheritance after his father dies. But in this case, he asked for the inheritance, the portion that belongs to him while his father was still alive. And then he went, and it says what he, 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 he spent his life in prodigal living. Prodigal means wasteful. Um, but, of course, the, the wasteful living 
that um, he had was whether it be wasteful because he is spending his money on things that are unnecessary or whether sinful living. Um, you know, later on, the, the older son says that he wasted his money on harlots. Um, and then he found himself uh, bankrupt um, after he had spent all his money unwisely um, and he was working feeding swine. And of course, for the Jewish people, the swine or the pig was considered an unclean animal. So for him to be uh, working to feed the swine was like a very humiliating, uh, very humiliating thing. Uh, and he longed to eat even the food of the swine. After some time, he thought, well, um, maybe I can return to my father who has plenty of food and I can just work as an employee, as a servant for him and just be receiving a wage, just like any other person who would be working um, f you know, as a servant in the house. He came back to his father. His father embraced him um, and he restored him again to his position as a son. Uh, of and this was not at all what the son was expecting. And he had a party for him and slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Um, and then the older son, uh, seeing that the younger son was accepted even after all that he had done, was jealous and upset with the father. But the father said um, that we should rejoice because the son was dead and now is alive. Um, so that was the story. Um, and so what is it that we can learn from this and how does it really apply to um, parenting? The first is that sometimes there are hidden problems, problems that the parents don't realize are there. Um, both sons in this uh, parable um, had issues, um, but maybe they were not seen at the beginning. Um, only when the sons reached a certain age um, was the problem evident. And many parents um, are shocked to find, maybe when their kids grow older to the age of high school or college, that their kids are capable of doing things that the parents never would have imagined. And parents have maybe an image of their children as being uh, saints. Uh, my child could never do such a thing. Um, and, and, and they defend their children, um, thinking that there's no way that their children could um, fall into certain problems. Um, but then once it becomes clear that, yes, in fact, they have fallen into such problems, the parents then, then wonder, like, how did this happen? How did it happen that after I had raised my children from a young age, very carefully, very diligently, um, caring about them, bringing them to church, you know, reading the Bible, praying, all these things, how is it possible that um, now at this age, um, the children are struggling um, with certain things? Um, and in this case, um, maybe the parents would blame themselves and say, well, I, you know, it's my fault. I should have done this and this differently. And, and in a lot of cases, maybe that's true. Maybe it is true that the parents, there are things that they could have done differently. Um, but we can ask, were there signs all along that the children were struggling with certain things? Of course, in this parable, um, because in the parable, the father represents God, it's not the, it's not the fault of the father that his children came up the way that they did. Um, the, the each person chooses for themselves once they become a certain age they choose for themselves the path of life that they are called to, to live um, or, or that they choose for themselves to live and it's not at all the, the fault of the parents um, what choices the parents make or the children make now there definitely is a big influence um, from the parents on the children and yes there are, there are times where um, maybe because the parents are either overprotective and we'll talk about some of these things um, or you know they don't allow the child to breathe or to make mistakes um, so in every way the parents are kind of living the life of the child for them um, seeking to protect them but to a level where the children never have a chance to actually make any choices on their own. The moment they get out into the real world, they start making choices and they fail. Um, so uh, the point here though is uh, that there are hidden problems. And this is one thing that we should always keep in mind as parents is don't believe what you see as being everything. You know, like I can guarantee you when children come and confess, um, the kinds of things that they speak about in confession um, are things that the parents probably would never have thought um, that their children struggle with, but they do, right? Um, children, you know, maybe they confess stealing or they confess lying to their parents regularly, like almost on a daily basis. Um, maybe something that, that parents would never have thought. Um, my children are lying to me. My children are stealing. My children are getting involved in all kinds of things and bad relationships that the parents have no clue, right? Because children are very good 
at kind of um, presenting themselves in a way that will be acceptable to the parents. Um, and I'm not speaking about bad kids. I'm not speaking about kids that, you know, uh, are clearly troubled. I'm speaking about good kids, kids that um, everyone would look at them from the outside and say, these are good kids. Like, there's nothing with them. There's nothing, there's nothing they're doing wrong. But the reality is there might be hidden problems, right? That's why it's important for us um, as parents to always be careful about what is it that our kids are doing and not to overtrust. We shouldn't undertrust, like we shouldn't just assume that the kids are doing all kinds of bad things and being like overly protective of them or overly uh, punitive, okay? Um, but at the same time, we shouldn't be like, okay, well, because I'm not aware of any kind of problem that's happening with them, I just give them absolute freedom right? Freedom to use their electronic devices in whatever way, in whatever place, however long. Um, freedom to have relationships with whoever they want. Freedom to do things away from the guidance of the parents or from the view of the parents and just assuming that the children are doing the right thing because over time can develop hidden problems. And what, what starts out as being kind of some acute issue, like a child lied, a child stole, a child did this. Over time, because it's unchecked, because nobody sees it and knows about it, it develops into a habit. And once it develops into a habit, it's much more difficult to break. And it becomes a source of guilt and shame for that child because they maybe they recognize that it's wrong, but at the same time, they don't know how to stop. And the more that the child kind of develops um, certain habits that are away from the view of the parents, the child begins to feel like nobody actually knows me, like I'm, I'm hidden, I'm, I'm hiding who I really am. Nobody can know because if my parents were to find out, and this goes to the wisdom of the parents and the relationship between the parents and the kids, if, if they see the parents as being a type that, you know what, if my parents found out that I'm doing this and this, they would kill me, um, they would, they would, they would like the, the reaction would be so strong and so punitive um, and, and so extreme that they would like end my life essentially if the parent if the children see it that way then they're never going to speak to the parents about it right contrary if the if the children have a good relationship with the parents it doesn't mean that it's going to prevent them from making all these wrong choices necessarily but maybe as in the case of the of the parable that we read once the prodigal son reached his bottom you know the, the rock bottom of he's wanting to eat the, f the food of the swine, then at least he will think, you know what, if I, if I return to my father, then at least he will accept me as a hired servant. Like, like I can show my face again. If it, because he had a good relationship with him. He saw the father as being a loving father, um, having a good relationship with him. Um, and he sees him as being one that after the son left, after the son um, made the wrong choices that he did and left, he still felt that the father was loving. You know, sometimes what happens after uh, an adult child or like an older child, like maybe someone of high school or college age, makes like a very bad choice or chooses to leave the house or something like this. The reaction of the parents toward that child, though the parents still love the child, but the, the reaction of the parents toward the child is not encouraging for the child to return. Um, maybe they are, you know, overly blaming constantly. Every time I see my child who's made a wrong choice, I just blame them. I say, how can you be living the way that you are? How can you be doing this and this? How can you be doing that? And the parents believe that by doing so, they are actually helping the child because they are bringing to light all the wrong things that the child is doing. But actually, the child already knows that it's wrong. Like, how many times do you have to say it to the child? You know, how many times do you have to bring it to, to, to light that what they're doing is wrong. They already know that, that, that it's wrong. They're, they're not doing it because they think it's right. They're doing it maybe out of weakness or out of a sense of rebellion, but they know that it's wrong. So the most important thing whenever we see that the child is going astray or has made poor choices is, yeah, we're not agreeing with their lifestyle or agreeing with the choices that they made, but at the same time, we are, we are, not, um, uh, we are not being overly punitive or overly um, kind of distant from the child um, or, or making them think that um, all we see them as now is just like this bad person, a person who's made wrong choices um, and, and we, um, you know, we reject them. So definitely um, hidden problems, right? We have to be aware from a young age that our children are going to fall into things that we're not aware of and they're not going to tell us because they know they're going to get in trouble.
right? So we have to be thinking like, okay, what, what are the signs that I'm seeing? Are there, are there signs for some of the problems they might be falling into? Don't overtrust and don't undertrust. Like don't, don't, don't be like helicopter parents, which we're going to talk about in the next slide, or, and, and don't be um, just overly trusting in everything because I'm not aware of anything that my children have done, that means I just give them absolute freedom. No, because there's definitely gonna be things. Our children are very good at hiding. They're very good at hiding what it is that they're doing. Um, and so we have to be careful for that. Um, the second point is overprotection. And it's easy for parents to fall into this because clearly um, when our children are young, we have to protect them in every possible way. They don't even know how to go to the bathroom they don't know how to dress themselves. Um, they don't know how to talk. They don't know how to walk. In, in every way, children are completely reliant on the parents from a young age. And so over time, parents become used to providing everything to the children, right? Providing everything to the children. Um, and not only that, but many parents change their identity to be caregivers, right? It's like the person that I was before I had children is not the person that I am now. Right, the my focus, my priorities, um, how I see myself, how I spend my time, how I orient my time, the way that I see myself is my children are the focus. Right, my children are the focus so much of my entire life. Like I've changed my life completely for the sake of this child and for the sake of the love of the child that I have, um, that I brought into the world. But as children get older, what is the role of the parents? The role of the parents is to teach the children to not need us, right? And that's difficult to think of that. Once you have changed your life, you've changed your identity, you've, your, your whole focus is on these children, the goal of the parents is to teach the children not to need us. Uh, is, is for us to kind of take a step back and say, now you have all that you need in order to live on your own, to succeed on your own, to make decisions on your own. I am not needed for you anymore. I am my own person. I have my own life. I have my own needs. I have everything for that, that, that I need that I continue to pursue as a human being separate from you, right? Animals are very good at this, right? Like you see, you know, the, 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 like even in like for birds, like the mom bird, what does she do? She pushes her babies out of the nest. She's like, you learn to fly. Like you can't stay here forever. Maybe for, um, for parents, for human parents, it's more difficult, right? Because we want, we have an attachment and we don't want to let go of that um, attachment. And by, by no means am I saying that this is easy. Um, again, because parents change their identity to be caregivers. Um, so what happens is, is that as the children grow, um, we end up being more attached to them than we really should. And of course, this is something that should change over time. As the child gets older, as they're able to take on more responsibility, as they're able to make decisions on their own, as they're able to take care of themselves more and more, the parents should be gradually taking a step back more and more and more until the child is completely independent. You know, once they get to the age of like say college age, at that point the child should be pretty much completely independent. Um, they should be able to make decisions for themselves. But a big, a big part of, um, of this process is allowing children to fail. Right, this is very important, allowing children to fail. And allowing them to fail can happen from a very young age because the consequences of failure at a young age are pretty uh, small, right? Um, if a child fails when they're a toddler, they're most likely not gonna go to prison, right? They can fail, you can let them fail. The consequences are minor. The consequences are maybe they're gonna cry, right? Something is gonna happen that they don't like and they're gonna cry and that's it, right? If if we don't start this process from a young age, then the moment that they have the ability to start making decisions on their own for the first time, they're gonna do things like taking drugs or drinking alcohol or, or having bad relationships with people. And then at that point, the consequences of their failure is gonna be much worse, right? So teaching this principle to children from a young age that you are, I'm teaching you to be responsible for yourself. The moment you have the ability, and again, this is different from child to child. There isn't one, you know, there isn't, there isn't one plan that's gonna work for everybody. It's gonna be something that um, is unique to each child according to how they're maturing and developing and how they are able to take care of themselves and make good decisions for themselves. So it's not all or nothing, 
And it's something that I can be involved in. It's something that I can guide them in. But in the end, they're the ones that need to make the choices. A lot of times, parents, the moment they identify that the child is about to make a bad choice, what do we do? We swoop in, right? We swoop in and we, we fix it. We correct it. We stop it. We prevent them from making the bad choice, right, that they're about to make. Um, but because they never experience the negative consequences of the choices that they make, the moment that now they are out of the house and, and they are beyond the view of the parents, um, they start making all kinds of bad choices, right? And, and, and we're not there to save them. And obviously when they're adults, we're not gonna be there to save them. Also, this can build resentment because if they feel where we're not allowing them to make choices on their own and we're always swooping in and saving the day, even though part of them recognizes that actually the outcome is better because the choice they were gonna make was not the right one, they're building resentment toward us because we are not giving them any freedom. We're not letting them live their own life, right? Um, and maybe they look forward to being adults and having that autonomy because they feel like they are suffocated, right? They're not able to live and make decisions and choices um, as they want. And the moment that they are able to leave the house, they will leave the house. Right? It doesn't mean <coughs> that they don't have any love for the parents. It doesn't mean they don't have an appreciation for what the parents are doing, but um, they want to be able to exercise the freedom, exercise their own mind, exercise, even if it's wrong, even if the choices they make are wrong. And if we think to our own lives, you know, all the times that we've made poor choices, there is a lot of learning that happens in making those choices. Um, and, and, and I'm sure all parents have um, the experience of like, you know, we tell our children something again and again and again and they don't listen and they end up doing the wrong thing and then only when they taste the bitter consequence of their choice do they then become convinced of what we have been telling them um, all along, right? And of course at that point it's not the time to say I told you so, right? Actually we see even in the parable um, there was no I told you so, right? There was no, um, you know, you, you shouldn't have done this from the beginning, right? There was simply like the embracing like when the, the prodigal son returned, the father embraced the son, even saw him from a distance, embraced him, right? And then allowed him um, to, to be restored again as fully as a son and to rejoice um, that he returned. So we have to be careful about overprotection and ask ourselves, am I doing for my child what they can do for themselves, right? At what age do I tell them, okay, you start dressing yourself, right? Um, and of course, there's always going to be, at a young age especially, there might be some pushback. Again, it depends on the, on the personality of the child. Some children are naturally more um, independent and they want to be like, no, don't dress me, don't pick my clothes out for me, don't do this for me, I want to do it myself. Some children are like that. Other children are different. They're like, I want you to do everything for me because that's what I used to. I want you to pick me up, I want you to carry me, I want you to, to, to all these things, right? There's nothing wrong with having our children make their own food for themselves. There's nothing wrong with, with them learning to heat their own food. There's nothing wrong with them, you know, picking out their own clothes. Even if what they pick out doesn't, um, doesn't match. Even if, if what they do, right, um, is not ideal or perfect or good. Again, they will learn over time, right, what they need to do for themselves. And they will, like for instance, if parents could tell their kids a thousand times the clothes that you're wearing don't match, but the moment they go to school wearing those clothes and one of their friends in school says it, they will never do that again, right? Because now it's like I chose for myself, I tasted the bitter consequence, which is like the, 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 peer, the peer criticism of what it is that I've done, and now I'm completely convinced that I'm never gonna do this again, right? But but the parents could say it until they're blue in the face. It's never gonna it's never gonna click with them. It's only gonna matter when they actually experience it. So, and and again, ask yourself the question: Well, what harm was done if the child went to school wearing clothes that don't match? Nothing. No harm was done, right? It was there's no consequence, right, to that to that problem, right? So that's what I'm saying: is the more that we teach our children to make choices for themselves when they're younger, and to taste the consequence, which are very light when they're younger, it's gonna help them later on um, in their life. Sure. Uh, 
Okay, so the question is, is what if they choose something not appropriate to where they're going, as in coming to church, for instance? Again, the principle is not like an all or nothing, right? So, so you can say um, there are times where there are certain rules that we can't change. For instance, you can say the church requires that we wear certain clothes, so it's not up to me, right? But there are other times where, let's say there's no specific dress code or there is maybe a dress code but what they're wearing doesn't actually like violate the dress code it's more just look silly right and at that point it's like okay if you want to wear this you can wear this um so so it's not a it's not an all or nothing and i think that's important so it's like as parents we're not like completely relinquishing all authority over our kids so we're not telling the kids you have a hundred percent authority over yourself but at the same time um, like we 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 are we're giving our input, but we're also letting you give your input. This also will change over time. Like for so, for instance, let's say you get your kids are now <laughs> in college, right? Um, and they still don't want to wear what's appropriate to church. Well, at that point, it's like I've already I've done my part. Like I'm not I can't influence the 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 clothes that my children wear. This other thing is like there are some parents that even when their kids are old, like they're in college, they still feel like it's their responsibility to save the kids or to make right choices for their kids. No, I'm sorry, at this point, you're done making choices for your kids. Once they're, uh, once they're adults, you're not making choices for them anymore, regardless of what rules they violate, what laws they violate, they're, they're on their own. Like you can tell, you can give guidance, right? You can say, I think this and this, but whatever it is that they choose, that's what they chose. And learning to have a good relationship with the kids even while they're making wrong choices, this is again something that's maybe difficult for us as parents. Because if you are always, every time you see them, you are just bringing to light, oh, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, they're not gonna wanna see us, right? And we're, we're relinquishing our um, opportunity to actually give them good, good advice because now when they see us, it's like they're seeing us against their will. They don't wanna see us. They know that the moment that they see us, they're, they're gonna just hear an earful of everything that they're doing wrong and they're going to feel criticized and they don't want to see us at all right so it's important again for us to remember that our whole focus and our whole identity is not just as a parent right and my role as parent changes over time and and while of course when my baby is an infant right yes i am 100 percent responsible for them but as they grow I get less and less and less responsible until I am no longer responsible. And whatever choices they make, that's their choice. It's not my choice. It's they've, they've chosen this. Okay. Okay, yeah, that's a great idea. Like giving multiple options. Yeah, giving multiple appropriate options and they choose. That's a great idea. So they can still feel like they're having some input, but regardless of what they choose, it's good. It's kind of like how we choose the Pope, right? <coughs> um, <coughs> the third thing we learn from the story is, uh, is about entitlement. So here we see actually that both sons, the younger son and the older son, they, they felt entitled to what was not theirs right the younger son most clearly because he comes at the beginning of the story and he says give me the inheritance that's due to me it's like well who said that this belongs to you this isn't yours like wh what what made you think that this is yours at all right because the mentality of the son was i know that i i'm i i'm due i deserve i will receive it's owed to me right this inheritance so i'm asking for it now instead of later okay also, the older son, at the end of the story, when he is like, uh, why are you, you know, uh, wh why are you throwing this party for, 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 for my younger brother, right? You never did such a thing for me. Again, like feeling like I am owed this. I am owed, like for you to spend your money on me um, in a certain way. Um, <coughs> again, this develops in our children because they begin to feel that everything that we have belongs to them. Everything we have is like, they have and obviously from a young age our children are um, reliant on us 100 percent. so yes it is the case that we are spending on them we are giving to them and 
we are we are and we want to give them good things right it's not that we're trying to be stingy with them we want to give them the best things right because out of out of love but the 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 the, the negative consequence of this is that after some time they begin to feel entitled to the things that we're giving them that they deserve the things that we are giving them and they are not willing to work in order to earn for themselves okay and we can see the, the the consequence of this in the story like the younger son for instance you can see that he loved the possessions of the father more than he loved the father he loved what he could get from the father more than he loved the father himself he was willing to disrespect his father by coming to him and said it's almost like he was saying you're already dead to me like you're dead to me just give me my inheritance now i'm not willing to wait i, I like i i am i am owed this right it belongs to me okay and this is um this is a big a big f a big problem right maybe they tolerated living with the father only uh, only because they were going to receive some inheritance right and so it's wrong for us as parents to use money and possessions in order to manipulate our children right to make them feel like unless you do what it is that i want right then you are not going to receive something now it doesn't mean that we can't use something as an incentive like you know when we give kids candy because they did something good but but we have to wean them off of this right we have to wean them off of this so that they they're not going to continue to think that every time that they do something good that somehow we are going to give them gifts right um for so for instance like i'm a big proponent of giving kids a certain allowance right and this is of course up to uh, up to the parents how much they would want to give and say hey everything you're going to buy for yourself of course subject to certain rules like we're not going to let you buy anything but um you you figure it out on your own here's your money if you want to spend all your money on something useless um and waste your money that's up to you right it's teaching them financial responsibility it's teaching them to say like like i have been given something and now this is like within the within like this quantity that I have been given, um, this is what I can spend. The other things outside of this, it doesn't belong to me, right? And of course we can give them gifts for like, okay, you got good grades, I'm gonna give you something. You, you, it's your birthday or whatever, I'm gonna give you something. Um, but in the end, leave them to manage that amount of money for themselves, right? At what age do you start this? Again, every child is different right there 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 is there is an age where the child we know for sure that they're not going to have any financial responsibility at all um but once we start to feel like they're able to start to make some decisions um we start to give it to them and at the beginning they're going to make bad decisions right they're going to make bad decisions they're they're going to spend their money now that they feel like they have money they're going to feel like okay uh, uh, this is what I want I'm going to spend this so this is what I want and then very quickly they're going to find that the money runs out and they're like you know what maybe I shouldn't have bought such and such there is no way to teach that to them by just giving them guidance and advice you know because they're going to keep coming to us like please can i have this please can i have this please can i have this and then we keep saying no 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 right they're not tasting the consequence of what is going to happen when i receive it because mom and dad have infinite money is what they think right they think we have unlimited money so every time they're coming to ask us they're like they're like what's what's the big deal it's only ten dollars it's only twenty dollars it's only fifty dollars like you have infinite money what's the problem okay but if if they have instead the mindset that no i am not entitled to what is not mine right there is a concept of mom and dad have their possessions that they that they earned by working right and actually once i have the ability to work i will work and i will make money and mom and dad will stop giving me money right for now it's like i have training wheels right i'm learning how to manage money that is given to me almost like it's a salary even though i'm not working for it um just so that i can have some financial responsibility okay um so it's important for them to not see us as just a bank right we are here to just give them whatever it is that they want they shouldn't feel entitled to to what belongs to us no i'm giving you what belongs to you and everything else belongs to me right and even the house that you're living in that belongs to me i'm allowing you to live here right um don't forget that right it, i'm giving it to you out of love i'm not i'm not i'm not lording it over you i'm not like kind of like like reminding you of that on a daily basis but remember that everything that you're enjoying now doesn't belong to you 
right? It belongs to me. And everything that I'm giving it to you, I'm giving it to you out of love. I'm not giving it to you because you're entitled, right? Because you're entitled to it. <coughs> I think it definitely depends on the age of the kid. Uh, sorry, the, the maturity of the kid um, and their ability to understand. You can start with very small things. You know, you, you can give them like even like a dollar a week or something like that. Um, like what we do is we started with like $5 a week and every year we add $1 a week, right? So it's kind of like they're, they're having more and more to, to, to work with. But then when it comes time to, okay, I want to buy something, it's like, okay, you have your allowance, save up for it. It's not going to be mom and dad are going to come and buy things for you when you have money on your own to pay for. And so that's the trade-off, right? You want to receive money because when you tell kids they're going to have allowance, they're going to be excited about it, right? Okay, great. You have our allowance. But now don't come to me and asking me to buy you things, right? You have your allowance. You save for it. You get what you want. And again, that, I think that's up to every parent, up to the financial situation, maturity of the kid of like at what point can they start making decisions? Yeah. Okay. Um, the fourth thing is materialism and attachment, okay? So kind of tying into entitlement, we, we don't want our kids to become materialistic, right? And all they care about is like a, the attachment to physical things and the desire for possessions. So we, we should tr not emphasize the importance of material things. We should emphasize more the importance of relationships, right? Like we have relationships with family. We have relationships with friends. We have the relationship that we have in our immediate family um, together. And these are the most important things. The, the physical things are necessary, like for us to live because we, you know, we, 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 need, we need to make a living. We need to be able to survive and all, all of that. But the, the, the focus should not be on materialism because kids, they, they see it's like, wow, I wish that I were an adult. Why do you wish that you were an adult? So that I could have money and I can spend it on the things that I want, right? And then once they become adults, you know, maybe they, they weren't expecting all the other stuff that comes with being an adult that isn't so great, right? And all the responsibility and all the heartache and all the struggle and all the whatever that comes because now, now I'm having to deal with that myself, right? So they're just seeing the, the money and the materialism, right? And becoming attached to the thing. So this again we have to be very careful and this is part of maybe the hidden problems right the hidden problems that maybe we were not thinking about or aware of from the beginning like the, these sons of this father they were materialistic and they cared so much about the material things right and this son saying I want you to give me my inheritance now before even you you die because I want to spend it right I want to spend it on myself I want to enjoy myself thinking that that was going to bring happiness, right? But of course, in the end, it didn't. So we have to also be careful about this point, right? We don't want our kids to become attached to material things and, and, and immersing them in an environment where material things are glorified. And part of that means that just because we can buy a thing doesn't mean we should. Just because we can afford a thing doesn't mean that we should, right? Buy it. Because the more that the child is um, relies on uh, material things that they're used to. And this is especially the case with like the richer parents, right? Because richer parents, like they can afford to give their kids even better things. And, and we want to give our kids good things. But we have to be careful of what, um, like what effect this would have on them in the long run, right? Because if they get used to the idea of I have all of these things that I want, right, all the time, then that is the, their level of expectation when they get older. And, um, and maybe if they can't afford those things, they're, they're going to really struggle. They're going to have a hard time. Or they're going to become so attached to these things. Or they're going to see mom and dad as they're primarily the source of the good things. They're, they're, they're primarily the source of material things that I want to get. So we have to be careful um, with that. I remember, you know, Bill Gates, he's like a you know, triple-digit billionaire, I think. Um, and he said, uh, you know, I told my kids that in, the w in my will, they're only going to get $10 million each, right? Which, of course, you know, maybe for us seems like still a lot of money. But um, when you consider that, you know, he's a triple-digit billionaire um, and saying that he's only going to leave $10 million to his kids, that's a very small fraction of his wealth. 
And the reason he's doing that, specifically, it wasn't because he hates his kids. It was because he wants his kids to learn to earn for themselves the things that are important, right? Um, and so, so, again, don't just rely on me. Don't just rely on my money. My money is not your money. Now, of course, maybe in our will we're going to leave all of our money to our kids, but I don't want you to live your life depending on that. I don't want you to live your life thinking, well, um, all of what you have is mine. No, I want you to live on your own. I want you to be independent. I want you to, to work. I want you to do all of that. I'm not here to just swoop in and pay for your bills, you know, whenever it is. It's time for, for that. Wastefulness. So like I said, the word prodigal means wasteful. So certainly the, the prodigal son, he was wasteful. He took all the money um, that he took from his father. He didn't invest it. He didn't um, use it to make a business. He didn't, he didn't do something with it that was sustainable. Instead, he just like, he had no sense of its value and he just spent it, right? And, and part of it is because he received such a big sum of money all at once, he, he, he didn't value it because he didn't have to work for it. And, and he just wasted it. You know, they say about people who, who win the lottery, um, many, many of them, they end up spending all the money and go broke, right? Because they, they don't value that money because it was just a free gift that, was that they received. So wastefulness comes in, in different ways. So it could be spending the money on things that are not important until we don't have any left. Um, again, that's an important thing for our kids to learn at a young age, that if you just buy for yourself everything that you want, then you're going to run out of money and you're not going to have any left and it's better for you to save, right? How do you teach your kids to save? You give them their own amount of money to spend. Um, but in addition to that, it's the wastefulness that comes on a daily basis that we see, for instance, like one thing that maybe we all deal with is our kids waste food, right? How many times do we find out that our kids, like we gave them a lunch to eat at school and they only ate like some of it and they threw the rest away, right? They threw the rest away because they didn't, they don't comprehend that like that has value right and there are even people who, <laughs> who don't even have that to eat and so they they look at it as being see look i've just been given so much i've been given so much and so it doesn't have value in my eyes because there's just so much um abundance um we see food that's thrown away we see toys that are you know we buy them and then within a week or a month um they're just broken and thrown on the ground and discarded right because they don't value it because it came to them for free. It came to them. Um, they didn't spend anything to receive it. Um, and they're like, okay, once I'm bored with this, I'm just going to discard it and, and go to the next thing. Um, and again, this is especially true in the West, right? Because in the West, we have a lot more abundance um, than in other places. So we again, we should be careful of what we give our kids, what we tell them about it, right? What its value is, right? And and not just like, okay, once I've discarded this, okay, now I'll get you a new one. Uh, now I'll get you another one, right? Because if our kids are not able to value things um, and to be satisfied with the things that they have, always wanting more, right? Then we're feeding into it by giving them more. We're feeding into the same kind of mentality that it's like the moment you're bored with something, I'll give you something else. And then once you're bored with that, I'll give you something else, right? And again, so we have to be balanced in this. We have to be careful. I'm not saying that we don't give our kids gifts, and, uh, and I'm not saying that the kids should never get bored of toys. I mean, we all get bored of things at some point. But they should be thankful. They should not be demanding. They should be satisfied and content with what they have. And again, when they buy things for themselves, when, th when we give them money as a gift, an allowance as a gift, something that they manage themselves, I think it would be less likely that they would do that because they're going to value the things that they purchased on their own once they begin to understand like the value of money. Um, rescuing. Rescuing is in, involves what? Like what happens when our kids mess up, right? When they make a bad choice. What happens when, you know, our kid um, has a project that's due in their school and they're given two weeks to work on it and they waste their time and now it's like one or two days before the project is due and they haven't barely worked on it and there's not enough time for them to finish it, and they're going to get a bad grade if they turn it if they because they can't turn it in, or they're going to do a sloppy work in order to turn it in, or they're going to have to stay up all night to work on it um, in order for them to turn it in. What do we do, right, as parents? So we can maybe from the beginning we can be like, hey, did you work on your project? Did you work on your project? Did you work on your project? Yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And then eventually they reach the point where they haven't gotten to it, they haven't worked on it, and now we're in the mode where it's like, okay. As parents, we can go and look at that project. It's like, I can knock this out in an hour, 
right? For them, maybe it's going to take a lot longer than that. What do I do? Do I go in and I help my kids and I tell them I'm going to do it for you or I'm going to be very involved and help you with it so you can finish it on time? Possibly. Maybe that's something we would do, right? But what is that teaching our kids, right? It's teaching them that if I'm not responsible, that someone else is going to come and rescue me. And I'm not going to taste the consequences of my choices. Because I can guarantee you, if we didn't help them and they ended up getting a bad grade on their project, then this will never happen again. The next time they have a project, they're going to take it more seriously because they're going to remember what happened before. But if we go and rescue them, then they're going to feel like, well, in the end, I ended up getting a good grade. and the end, it all worked out. So the next time they have a project, maybe the same thing would repeat. Maybe the same thing would happen again. And again, this is one of those things that at a young age, the consequences are not so severe. If we ended up helping them with the project, okay, we helped them with the project. All it was was a grade, a grade in third grade, a grade in fourth grade. It's not really going to determine the outcome of their life, right? But once you get to be older and older, now the consequences are more severe, right? The consequences of bad choices are more severe. And if they've relied on us to be kind of rescuing them all along from the beginning, they're also not, they're not used to tasting the 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 consequences of their actions so it's more likely that they would fail and and they would expect us to come in and to save to save them so in the story uh, the prodigal son we don't see the father at all after the son leaves we don't see anything we don't see the father when he sees the son you know broke and wanting to eat the food of the pigs that the son the father is, is coming in it's like oh i'm so sorry uh you know here I'll, let me give you some more money to compensate for what you spent. Don't, sp don't waste it this time, um, but here's some more money. Well, if the son is already, like, has this materialism and he's irresponsible, then very likely he is going to waste it again, right? The father doesn't try to help him. He waits for the son to fully taste the consequences of his actions. And once he's tasted the consequences of his actions, then the son, on his own, chooses to return. And this is where... Like, there is real progress that's made. And we see that the son is different when he returns. He says, I'm not even worthy to be called your son, right? He sees that there's, there's a different attitude. There's a different mentality that he has. He's not wasteful like he was before. Now it's like, I'm not even coming to my father asking him for money. I'm, I'm coming to work. Like, I'm coming to work with a wage, right? It's a different way of thinking. And there was nothing that would have been able to create that change in that son simply by giving advice. Like the father says, look out, don't waste your money. Look out, don't do this and this. Like, yeah, it sounds nice, right? But for him to taste the consequences of his actions was the only way to produce that change in him. And so the father, he, he resisted the temptation to jump in and to rescue and to save his son from those consequences. Now, certainly, it's better that we do this um, at a younger age so that it doesn't reach this point where they where they fall into this at an older age um, so I would say this resist the urge to rescue your children let them taste the consequences of their actions because when they do they will not repeat it they will they will they will they will not do it again because they it will hurt it needs to hurt you know all of us have also gone through situations where we made wrong choices and it hurt and we never did it again because it is painful it is difficult right? It is hard. The younger they are when they taste these consequences, the better off they are. The earlier they learn this lesson, right? Um, the better off they are. Weaning. As I said before, it is the goal of the parent to no longer be needed. It is the goal of the parent to no, no longer be needed. We give our children everything they need, physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual. But over time, we are weaning them, meaning they are needing us less and less and less. They, they don't need us as much for their physical needs because they can start to work and earn money for themselves to satisfy their physical needs. Um, we've given them emotional love throughout their life, so now they are emotionally healthy, right? And are able to have good relationships with people. Uh, intellectually, we put them into school so that they can learn intellectually until they are no longer needing us in order to further their intellectual uh, life and knowledge. Spiritually, we've taught them about God. We've put them in Sunday school. We've 
encourage them to pray. We've taught them all these principles so that as they are now leaving the home, they are on their own and they're able to maintain and to continue this life on their own. But we are gradually stepping away more and more and more, right? For instance, spiritually, there is a time where we are standing with our kids and we're saying we're going to pray. And so we pray and we pray and we pray. And then at some point, we reach the point where it's like, now it's time for you to pray. Now it's time for you to go before bed and stand and pray on your own and be responsible for your own spiritual life. How many times do we see kids that are coming to church every single week and attending Sunday school every single week and doing all these things until the moment that they get a car? And then once they get a car, they don't come to church anymore. They don't pray anymore. They don't do any of that stuff anymore, which reveals what? A hidden problem. What was the hidden problem that shocks the parents? Well, th the problem was is that they were never actually attached to church. They never actually had a strong spiritual life. They were doing all those things only because you forced them to, only because they knew they didn't have any choice, right? And because they didn't have any choice, right, they did what they the only thing they could have done. And it looked to us, it appeared to us like they were spiritual. It appeared to us they were obedient. It appeared to us that they wanted to be in the church, but no, they never wanted to be in the church. They would never ever dare to come to us and say, we don't want to go to the church because they know they would get in trouble, right? But that was a hidden problem. So the idea of weaning is we begin to see some of the hidden problems early on, early on. Like once you start giving them freedom and seeing their choices, number one, they're going to make mistakes, right? And taste the consequences of their actions. But also we're going to start to see who they are as actual human beings, not just my children, not just the people that are, you know, forced to do what it is that I ask them to do, but as human beings, as people who can choose on their own. And once I begin to see the wrong choices that they're making, then I can try to make some adjustments. I can say, okay, um, I noticed this and this, let's have a conversation about it, right? So giving more and more freedom more and more independence to my children, even while they continue to live with me, is a way for us to detect and to, to notice some of these problems um, early on. Uh, too much advice. Again, sometimes we think that the best way to teach our children is by giving advice, but that's not true. The best way to teach our children is to model the right behavior to them, right? Sometimes because we are not modeling the right behavior, because we, because the right behavior is hard. So instead of modeling the right behavior, what we do is we just tell them what the right behavior is. You know, it's like you should pray every day and you should go to church every week. I don't do that, right? I don't pray every day or go to church every week, but the right thing to do is to go to church every week and to pray every day. Do you agree? Yes, yes, I agree. This is the right thing to do, okay? But because they don't see us doing it because we are not modeling the right behavior to them, right? Uh, don't curse. Uh, I may be cursed, but cursing is wrong. Don't curse, okay? Is cursing wrong? Yes, cursing is wrong, okay? But because they see us doing it, that is what they will learn. That is what they will adopt as their lifestyle, is whatever it is that we do. So don't focus so much on giving advice you know when we give too much advice our kids are just going to roll their eyes and they're going to shut us down and they're going to close their ears because nobody just wants to hear advice nonstop. okay it doesn't mean that there's no place for advice but advice is not the primary way that our children are going to learn from us the primary way that our children will learn from us is through our example and not through words Okay, And we see this in the example of the father. The father does not give any advice to his kids in this story, nor does when the ch son comes back, he said, I told you so, nor when the son is contemplating leaving and asking for the inheritance. He doesn't even tell him, no, this is wrong. You shouldn't do this. No, he has already modeled for him whatever the right behavior is. And here the, the son has chosen right, to do what is wrong. He lets him do it. He lets him do it. He doesn't sit there trying to control him or to tell him, no, you shouldn't do this or this is wrong, or God will be upset with you if you do. No, you're at an age now where I am not responsible for you as before. If you tried to do this when you were very, very young, yeah, maybe I would have stopped it, and maybe I would have said, no, let me teach you the right way. But you are now at an age where you are older, and you should know what is right from wrong at this stage, so I'm not going to sit there and, and try to explain to you now 
why this is wrong or prevent you from doing it. I mean, he even went to the point of saying, okay, you want my inheritance, I'll give it to you. He didn't even have to do that, but, but he did. Okay, so we should try to avoid too much advice and instead model for our children what is right. The, l- the last point is mercy. Okay, some parents are very punitive, right? Everything has a consequence. Everything has a punishment. And I'm not saying that there's no um, place for punishment at all, right? There is, definitely. But uh, the best punishment is the natural one that comes from the wrong choice that they made, right? I would rather that the child experience the natural consequence of their choice rather than for me to artificially punish them. Now, a lot of times, the natural consequence of their choice isn't something that is going to happen immediately. Like, for instance, if a child chooses not to go to school, what is the consequence? Well, in one day or two days, there really isn't much consequence. Fast forward 10 years from now, and yeah, there will be a huge consequence. So the child doesn't necessarily understand that. So we force our kids to go to school um, because they're not yet able to process or understand or experience the natural consequence of the choice. Okay? But there are some things where, we, where they will naturally experience the consequence of the choice. Back to the idea of having an allowance. If they choose to spend all their money on candy right, or something else, and now they don't have any left to buy anything else that they want, it's like every time they come now to want to buy something, it's like, sorry, you don't have any money left because you spent it all. Right? That is a natural consequence. So it would be better as parents to say, taste the natural consequence. Now, what about mercy? Right? Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. And, and again, this we see even in God, right? When does he choose to have mercy versus when does he choose to just allow us to suffer because of what we've done, right? We said every, consequen- every, every choice has a consequence. And Israel, for instance, would make a lot of bad choices and they would taste the consequences. But God would then come at some point and says, okay, that's enough. You know, you've tasted enough of the bad consequences. Now I want going to save you, right, from this. At what point, um, you know, did, at what, at what point does God do this? At what point should a parent do this? Again, this is very up to the discernment of the parent, right? When they feel like the child has actually learned and tasted the bitterness of what is it that they have done, then there is a, there is a place for mercy. You know, again, we see in the, in the story of the prodigal son, when, he, when the son returned, he said, not only am I accepting you as a son, but I'm also going to have a celebration for you. I'm going to rejoice, right? I'm going to rejoice in you, right? Did the son deserve that party? Did the son deserve the celebration? He didn't deserve the celebration. But, but the father, in his joy, gave him that celebration. So we see often God is treating us better than we deserve. And so also as parents... We should treat our children better than they deserve. And so there is a balance between judgment and mercy. There is a balance between when you taste the bitterness, right, of your consequence versus, okay, now it's enough. Now I choose to free you. Sometimes maybe, like we tell our kids, because you did something, I'm going to ground you for a week, okay, and you can't do this and this and this and this for a week. And our, and let's say it's a, it is a balanced and good um, punishment that we're giving our kids for good reason. But let's say after maybe three or four days, we see our kids have been very good and they have been following everything that we've said and they're not complaining and, and they have accepted uh, th- their fault for what they've done. And we as parents feel, you know what? They've learned the lesson, right? They've learned what it is that we are wanting to teach them and so we can go to them and say, okay, you know what? Because you've done so good, you don't have to carry out the rest of this punishment and you're free now, right? Again, it, sho- it builds a bond of love between the parent and the kid, right? We shouldn't be so punitive because we have to remember what is the goal of pu- the punishment. The goal of the punishment is for them to learn and to understand that every bad choice has a consequence. And if we see that they've accepted that, they have learned that, then we can also be merciful. And it teaches them also to be merciful. It teaches them to have um, mercy um, on others. So... Those were nine points that we mentioned uh, regarding the point things we can learn from the, p- the story of the prodigal son. So we said hidden problems. There are some things that are hidden in our children that maybe we don't realize until they're older. Two, we should not be overprotective of our children, but allowing them to suffer the consequences of their actions. Um, entitlement, 
Uh, we should we shouldn't allow our children to grow feeling like they are entitled um, to our own possessions and things, uh, but they have to work for it. Um, materialism shouldn't be attached to the material things of the world. Being wasteful and throwing away and not not caring for the things that they have um, to rescue them whenever they fail. Um, we shouldn't do that. Weaning them off of ourselves gradually. Um, uh, giving too much advice, the best way to teach is to model the right behavior, and then finally to have mercy and to show them um, to show them to have mercy on others as well. Is there any final questions or comments? Okay, glory be to God forever, man. We can pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O God, for this day. We thank you because you have blessed us and you've had mercy on us. We ask, O God, that you help us to be good parents, even though this is a very difficult and challenging job. We believe, O Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, you're able to grant us your grace and to guide us in how to raise our children in your fear and how to be a good model to them and to model every good behavior. We thank you, O Lord, for your mercy on us, even in our own failures. Help us to be merciful and help us, O God, to be filled and enlightened with your Holy Spirit. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.